This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Total Saints Podcast, a podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints FC. On this week's pod, we'll be reflecting on Saints' latest Premier League match, a hard-fought, backs-to-the-wall draw with Champions League chase in Leicester City. We'll get the thoughts of Steve, Glenn and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon on determination, 10 out of 10 ratings and yet more VAR controversy. Midway through, we'll briefly update on our two fantasy Premier League tables, our TSP League and our TSP Patrons Only League, looking at just how tight it is or isn't ahead of the final few games of the season. Suffice to say, I'm doing as rubbish as normal, but I did bring Ineacho in last week and he didn't score and gave us a penalty. You're very welcome. Lastly, we'll preview next week's trip to Anfield as Saints look for their first league double over Liverpool in 20 years or so. As mentioned, Steve, Glenn and Dan are here as ever. Evening, chaps. Evening. Good evening. Steve, uh, a good couple of weeks since we caught up. I've been keeping my eye on uh, Sutton United. I know they're sort of very much in the uh, conference playoff frame, which I'm sure you're uh, excited about. Yeah, it's been going well. Um, they've had a little bit of a stutter last last couple of weeks. Have had to sort of grind out a few results, but yeah, they're they're still still in the mix. Still kind of probably just about favourites. I think they've got a game in hand over Torquay, um, who are a point ahead. So um, yeah, we'll see see how that pans out. I'm hoping that last game last home game of the season against Hartlepool will be um, they'll be allowed fans in the ground. So that'll be that'll be pretty good if they if they're able to get back because obviously not nobody's been been able to see any games at all this season and. In the in the the situation it is where the way they've been playing so well, you kind of it's obviously just a massive disappointment for the fans. But it is it it is what it is. But everyone's been everyone's been watching online. But it's it's just not quite the same, is it? Um, as we as we found in the Premier League games as well. And it's it's even more weird watching non-league football on a stream. It's pro- yeah, it's proper strange. Obviously with with sort of tin pot um, tin pot levels of coverage and and that sort of thing, as opposed to the sort of slightly more polished version you get with Sky and BT. Mm. 
Mm. I was thinking that at least with Saints and Sutton United, you're getting entertainment at both ends of the table at the moment, aren't you? So that's good. And uh, yeah, I mean, Glenn, how's your uh, couple of weeks been? As I say, we were just saying before we started, it feels like ages since the uh, the Leicester game, and it feels even longer since we did our last pod. Yeah, so it was just after the well, we did the semi final, didn't we? And that was um, that was it. So nah, more of the same, really. It's uh, I've got nothing exciting to report whatsoever. Um, obviously, we had the we had the Spurs game, which was ultimately disappointing, and the um, and the one on uh, the one on Friday, which uh, which was decent. So uh, so yeah, nothing much to say other than that, really. It's um, yeah, sort of living for the football. It'd be quite nice when uh, when I don't have to do that anymore. But there you go. Yeah, and even the cricket was going well until Hampshire decided to revert to normal, didn't it? Don't know what it is with us playing at the Oval. Just something, something about that ground that just turns us, turns us into village players. It, it did make me chuckle that, uh, yeah, we were bowled out for 92, and then suddenly when they were 100 for one, the uh, Solent Sport tweet says something along the lines: "Batting looks a lot easier out there now." I was thinking, well, maybe they've just batted a bit better than we did. But uh, there we go. And uh, Dan, while we're recording this on Sunday night, we won't be uh, releasing via social media until Tuesday, as TSP also spends uh, this weekend supporting the No Room for Racism campaign and social media boycott, which serious issue needing a lot more done about it. And uh, as uh, again, I know you were sort of saying before we started that uh, the Athletic left you guys a bit open to to your sort of own views on how you want to kind of handle it. Yeah, it was. You know, we've had no pressure on us whatsoever from the guys and girls above us in terms of we need to do it we don't need to do it there'll be you know many writers haven't and many writers have so it was entirely up to me and I thought about it long and hard and I had conversations with I'm sure he won't mind me saying I don't know if he listens to the podcast but Ryan Conway who are our derby writer because I had really mixed feelings about the the boycott and whether I should participate or not and you know, I spent a good half an hour on the phone with him and he told me all the reasons why he wasn't going to participate and you know I completely bought into that but ultimately he said I think you know you've just got to do it if you feel like there's something you should do even though you want to support me I think you should you should go for it so having spoken to him it kind of made my mind easier and then yeah it's you know I think even Southampton remember the Alex Jankovic after Man United as if you know his evening wasn't bad enough after getting sent off he's then you know subjected to some awful, awful messages on Twitter that were still up online, you know, a day, two days later. And then Nathan Teller, in a round of interviews he's did, he did recently, said he's also received similar messages. So it's just, it's not acceptable. Whether it will actually do anything, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think, you know, it wasn't, it doesn't seem that long ago everyone posted black tiles on their social media as like a blackout Tuesday and that didn't make any change. But if it can make the, the tiniest change or make the social media companies realise or hit them in the pocket one way or the other, then hopefully that can only be you know a good thing going forward. But I mean, I remain sceptical. Mm. Well, don't forget, if you do see any racism online towards anyone, challenge it, report it change it okay before we get going a quick shout out to all our april tsp patron quiz prize winners to shane Ilya, raul and paul well done on your top three finishes across the two events and congratulations again to callum donnelly and paul streeter who are our two winners both receiving subject to royal mail delivery a saints 2020 21 home shirt with total saints pod 21 the back uh, memorabilia that money can't buy a big thanks again to all of you who took the time to join last friday and saturday hope you enjoyed it and learned one or two things along the way right underpinned by our tsp patrons this is tsp 159 This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield. 
Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and The Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Despite being completely set up by Sky Sports and the Premier League, Friday night, under the lights, at home to Leicester City, with frothy-mouthed commentators dining out on historical scorelines, Saints battled hard and against the odds to score a valuable one-all draw with Leicester. Dan, we'll get onto a couple of the key talking points in a moment, but I want us to start with a, an important positive. We've seen a, a lot of below-par performances from the team in 2021, but not Friday night. To a man, they were largely superb in the job that they had to do, restoring some pride both in themselves and with the fans. 100%. I think yeah, all of us on this podcast have said time and time again, where where are the players standing up when, when the going gets tough? Why, why do they cow and collapse when a decision goes against them? And... I certainly don't think I would have been alone on Friday night when just after 10 minutes when they went down to 10 men thinking, well, here they go. This will be four or five because we've seen that. We've seen it before. The the minute something goes against Southampton, the players fold on the pitch and they just get steamrolled. But they didn't do it to a man. As as we said, they, they defended brilliantly. They were disciplined. As we said before, they, they've learned from their mistakes. I think Ralph learned you know, against Man United when they went down to 10 men early on. He didn't really change anything straight away against Leicester he brought on Salasu and took off took off Teller which we all knew would damage their you know prowess going forward but it was the right thing to do because had they lost 4-0 5-0 how how do you pick those players and Ralph up from there it becomes almost you know you pick them up after 1-9-0 okay you move on pick them up after a second one it is difficult but uh, if they had another a third kind of mauling then you just think how do you where do they go now so i was really 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 impressed by the way the players dug deep, you know, pulled their socks up. And all I can sort of say is I wish we'd seen that kind of performance sooner. I mean, it's a shame it's taken them a while to learn that they, they are capable of doing that. And secondly, hopefully they can carry that forward into the next final final games of the season. And Steve, unlike uh, Dan and me, who were very pessimistic with our predictions, and Glenn went for a, a Wild Saints win, you were the only one of us that went for a, uh, a bold, I would probably call it, draw before the game. You went for a, a nil-nil prediction. But uh, alongside what Dan's just said there, as from a, a fan's point of view, how pleased were you with the performance you saw from the team? Uh, yeah, very. It was. It looked as if we had a plan from the start. The, the fact that, obviously, we had that disallowed goal early doors that was rightly flagged offside, but you could see what we were trying to do. The idea was to was to draw Leicester onto us and then play and then have Vestergaard play those balls over the, over the top of both of their wing backs because they were playing a back three wing backs were were pushing very high and that left an awful lot of space for our for our full backs to get to get in behind. Now it would have been interesting to see how the game had would have panned out um, and whether we'd have actually tried to do it down the other side because I suspect Jack Stevens might have struggled doing the attacking the attacking side of that job. But Walker Peters is absolutely perfect for that. Um, for that role and and yeah I mean even even in the 10 minute well not even 10 minutes where we had where we had 11 men on the pitch we looked as if we could hurt them in in that in that position so it looks as if we had we had a plan at that point and then obviously once the once the um the Vestergaard incident happens and he's sent off there's no oh let's let's give it five or ten minutes to see how this goes it's like right no decisive action we've we'll make we'll make the change make sure that we shore up the um the weakest part of our team because let's face it our defense is crap has been for years um and it, years, yeah. yeah and it and it needs needs all the help it can get so yeah by um that was absolutely the right right move to bring salasu on personally i'd have i i it wouldn't have been Teller who I'd have sacrificed. I'd have probably sacrificed Minamino personally um, for a number yeah. of for a number of reasons, but mainly I think because 
um, Teller Teller had more potential to hurt them. Maybe he felt from an experience point of view, you know, that it was better to have a bit of experience on there. Because I don't disagree with you, but maybe that was Ralph's view. You know, Minamino or Teller, you think, well, this is a guy that's played a lot more games and will kind of know how to sit in and do the job that we need for, you know, so that we don't get heavily defeated, maybe. Yeah, possibly, but I think I think Teller is in a better physical condition at the moment. Uh, Minamino hasn't played an awful lot of games in the last what 18 months. Teller's now Teller's been featuring regularly for our first team um, for a lot of this season now, I think, and has also obviously been playing a lot of games um, for the under 23s previously. Um, whereas Minamino had basically done absolutely nothing for for basically the whole season until he signed for us on the last day of the transfer transfer window in January so I think sharpness I think um, would have given um, Teller a slight advantage um, and in form as well um, something ultimately you you keep keep your best players on the pitch as, as far as you possibly can but no I mean other than that I mean I think the the system the system were, that we reverted to was absolutely fine um, we kept I mean to be honest we kept Leicester at arm's length I was I mean, if, if I'd been a neutral in this game, I'd have been really disappointed with the way that Leicester played, the way that they tried to attack us. Because, I mean, you, I mean, you could kind of tell with about 15 minutes ago, they'd basically run out of ideas already. Like, they were, t- they were taking pot shots and 25 yards out and shanking it out almost for a throw-in. And it's you just thought, well, come on, lads. You, in, in their situation, you, you would have thought that they would have had a little bit more, little bit more composure and a little bit more know-how, thinking that, if we just just be patient, but ultimately Leicester actually haven't been playing that well the last month or so. They had a strong 25 minutes against West Brom last week, which basically got the game won, and they could stroll through the through the um, second half of that one. But they, I mean, they weren't they weren't great against us at Wembley. They basically took advantage of the one moment and had a huge slice of fortune in in the way it came about as well. They were very lucky to beat Palace, and yes, they they been fairly unimpressive given the given the position that they're in in, in the table and um, they're probably still looking over their shoulder a little bit um particularly the way Chelsea are playing at the moment so yeah I mean we we can't I think we kind of we were fortunate in a way that that we came up against a team that were a little bit anemic from an attacking perspective um despite Ian Acho's um recent form um, I mean, Vardy's been way off the pace for for a while now, and ultimately, also on on the on the strength of that, we've also you've also got to give yourselves credit for for defending well. Um, there was no um, there were no rash challenges. I mean, the one the one moment where we where anybody switched off was what kind of led to the goal because Redmond kind of Redmond kind of dangs a leg a little bit um, from the cross and doesn't doesn't get a block on it, and Bednarek gives has a like three or four yard start on Johnny Evans and still lets him ghost in behind to be honest that that was the only disappointment for me was was um the way the way the goal came I think realistically you would I think most people would have expected Leicester to score at least once given 81 minutes against 10 men but the way that that one came about was was very very frustrating and Glenn while it was a a very solid team effort you know I think we could go through every single uh, Saints player and call them out um, you know showing that defensive resolve that we've spoken about concentration commitment etc among a a plethora of eights and nines in your ratings which are available on totalsaints.co.uk now if anyone wants to 
watched them was uh, you gave Shea Adams ten out of ten, a, a real Scott, I should add, uh, Shea Adams. And uh, I just I just wondered what it was about Shea's performance because you know we've we've spent a lot of time talking about him over the last twelve eighteen months in his game, and because you gave him a ten, Glenn, and I think we all agree he had a fantastic game. I just wondered what it was about his performance that, in your view, kind of deemed it one of his best games in a Saints shirt. Well, I think he won more headers and more challenges than in the entirety of his Saints career put together in in that in that 90 minutes. He he never stopped. Um, he was trying to occupy three players to start with until Leicester changed it to Fafana off, and then he was basically hammering across the entire back four to try and stop them having you know being able to just trundle forward with the ball. I just thought he put in a massive amount of effort, and a lot of the things he was trying. Were, were coming off you know he was he was holding on to the ball he was laying it off to people he was he was flicking it on sometimes and actually then going and winning the second challenge and coming away with the ball I, you know obviously he didn't score which would have made it perfect but for me when he's he's left up front on his own basically and and he he did a he did a fantastic job into trying to stem the flow of them coming forward so i can't criticize him at all i would also like to add that the much maligned by me um, Nathan Redmond did a lot of hard work as well in, um, you know, in swapping over and, and dropping in for Adams and doing a lot of the chasing around. And even though it's not his not his kind of game at all, um, I thought Minamino did pretty well considering, you know, he he's like a, a number 10 behind a striker type of player. He's not, you know, a typical right winger hammering up and down the pitch trying to chase back and I thought he did a good you know, I thought he did a good job to rein in his attacking instincts and he was he was constantly checking to see where Walker Peters was to make sure he wasn't sort of too far away so I thought for the first time he actually you know looked like someone who, who might be useful I know we're not going to sign him uh, and all that and, and I still wouldn't necessarily advocate that but I, th- I think he had a I think he had a really good game from a defensive point of view though I do agree with Steve <laughs> I would have taken him off when the red card happened and um and left Teller on but uh but no going back to the yeah the the real the real the well, not real Scotsman Che Adams I thought he had a I thought he had a fantastic day but uh, by the way I mean I was on I went on a Leicester fan TV uh thing on Thursday and did, did an interview and they were less biased than Martin Tyler and Alan Smith I thought they had a particularly <laughs> poor was, night didn't they both of them oh my word it was foot through the what, TV time yeah one, one of one of the many benefits for me being in Dubai is that we have be in sports coverage and therefore we take the, the world the Premier League world feed which doesn't include the sky the default sky commentators which mm. is a bit yeah. of a bonus lucky you Steve but uh, yeah and uh, despite missing some key players throughout the, the team then Dan you know the likes of Bertram Romeo and Ings etc um just before we move on to the VAR situation, because I can't believe we've gotten 22 minutes in and we haven't spoken about it yet, <laughs> is uh, what, what, what did you make of sort of Ralph's selection in the first place? And I just wanted to pick up on Jack Stevens and Mohamed Selassie because, you know, we, we know particularly with Selassie, he's been given the b- big build-up by the club. You know, we've seen him sort of stops and starts. But I thought both of those particularly, bearing in mind they hadn't played a lot of football in the Premier League, came in and did a really, really good job. They were both really impressive, really impressive. I saw the team and I, I, I know many didn't, but I, I actually quite liked it. I thought it was bold of Ralph and I also thought it, it kind of, I mean, I'd been having conversations over the last week or so where the, the vibe I was getting is that you know, we're gonna, what we're going to see in these next final games is Ralph really have, you know, try a few different things yeah, out with, building blocks with, for next, with, year and with stuff. next season yeah. in mind. Yeah. And so I saw it, I wasn't, surprised by it I liked it and 
one of the things that really struck me and it, it became apparent on my drive home actually from Southampton when I, I was thinking about the game is that they drew that match without Ryan Bertrand, Vestergaard and Danny Ings. Now, they are the three players who have big question marks over their heads, whether they're going to be at the club next season or not. So I thought, I think that's a point worth making because the way the team battled and fought for each other, I've, I found really impressive. And it does show, only on a small scale, admittedly, and they will have to do it again and again and again. There is life, there is life after these players if they move on. You know, I thought Jack Stevens was, was good at left back. They didn't miss Ryan Bertrand in that respect. Salasu came on. And bearing in mind he's, you know, that during Ramadan at the moment, he was an absolute monster. Like he was just phenomenal. He was so good, so good. And then Shea Adams, as as Glenn's already mentioned, was just just ran himself into the ground. And Nathan Redmond had exactly the attitude that we all want Nathan Redmond to have. So yeah, I, I was really impressed by the team selection. Really impressed that they they managed to to get that point in the circumstances they did and just briefly Dan and I wasn't going to specifically ask this but as you've raised that point which I think is a, a really important one there's been a lot of chat hasn't there about Ralph making some decisions for the future based on the attitude in the changing room and things like that and as you say I'm not naming names in particular but it's interesting some of the people that weren't in the change room and maybe this more positive constructive come on we can go out there and do a job let's all work for each other type attitude they were kind of all felt like they were all on the same wavelength yeah yeah well I, I'll be careful what I say here I think um <laughs> You get my point. It was, I think I think so. Yeah, it was a good team performance with everyone fighting for the same cause, and it it came to my attention actually on Saturday when I was having a, com- a couple of conversations with some contacts outside the club that a message had been sent around Friday night from from the top, which I guess would be the board, maybe probably Martin if I'm if I'm going to guess. Um, that went out to the player, uh, you know, uh, how, I mean, and how you describe it, but a, a group chat type message, maybe that went out to all the players and staff, basically kind of saying, airing how proud they were and that this is the way forward. And, you know, if we all pull in the right direction. We can, you know, all move forward together. So I thought that was you know, that when that came to my attention, I thought that was, uh, you know, interesting. And there really is this kind of sense that Friday could be a turning point. I think I think Ralph would have realized a lot of things on Friday night, I think by the sounds of the message that went out from above Ralph, perhaps they realised a lot on Friday night as well. So, as we've all said, you know, long may it continue. All right then, Steve. Well, other than the, the two goals, of course, um, the key talking point was, of course, the uh, the red card against Yannick Vestergaard. Um, briefly then, where, where do you kind of stand on that decision and the whole process of him being sent off by a sort of mix of Robert Jones and probably, more importantly, good old John Moss? Well, I mean, the whole... The way the situation panned out was just an absolute mess, wasn't it? I will kind of say right, um, from the start that... Given where the referee's positioning is, I think he's on the edge of the centre circle. And his his positioning is fine because we've got the ball in a completely un completely unthreatening situation. There's no reason for him to be anywhere anywhere near the play at that at that given moment. And it's only obviously Vestergaard's lack of concentration that lets the ball run under his foot. But and from the so from the position that he is he is um watching the incident, I can absolutely understand why he's given the decision. Because Vestergaard has obviously lost lost control of the ball, he's lunged, and he's he's not he's not in control of his body because well because he's lunging and you're putting the the force of a guy who's probably the best part of eighteen stone. I don't heavy. think he's that heavy, mate. <laughs> you'll be surprised. I mean, he's what six foot seven and built like a brick 
outhouse. I'm currently Googling it, uh, Steve. You mu- carry on. Mus- I'll, tr- I'll try and find mus- it. Mus- muscle, muscle apparently is very heavy. I wouldn't know. I have none of it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, apparently muscle is very heavy. So, um, yeah. I'd be amazed if he's more than 13 stone, to be honest. But, but, um, but yeah. But yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a big adult. Um, throwing his body weight at pace and yes he clearly gets every single bit of the ball first but the the law doesn't kind of really differentiate from that anymore it's not really about whether you play the ball first it's about whether you've used a reckless amount of force and whether you endanger the um the safety of an opponent and unfortunately just the 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 position where he contacts Vardy's ankle you could kind of see why he's He's come to that conclusion. Now, as it apparently turns out, it's um, it's been reviewed by John Moss. Presumably, he's looked at it once because it's because the coverage didn't put up the VAR um, review screen. So he's obviously taken that. It's only a, like cursory look at it. Um, but he's decided that rather than rather than sending him off a serious foul play, which is kind of what I assumed was the case, he's actually sent him off for denial of a goal scoring opportunity. Now, given that he has won the ball and knocked the ball away from Vardy, Vardy isn't getting that ball whether he whether he makes contact with his ankle or not. Mm. Um, exactly. So, I mean, surely we're appealing that. Well, you, you um, so. and 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 for John Moss to make that snap decision in that short space of time is is extraordinary, really. But I mean, it, ultimately, it comes back to we've set up this. Uh, sort of use of technology to improve decision making, but unfortunately the the technology is let down by the um, the humans that are operating it because the ultimately John Moss is a is a terrible referee anyway, mm-hmm. uh, as we've as we've seen demonstrated for the best part of the last 10 15 years or however long he's been at refereeing at Premier League level, and judging by the last 18 months, um, he's even worse. When he's when he's sat in the studio at Stockley Park, what they need to do is they they need to train. Refer- if if you want if you want video assist if you want video assistant referees, train people specifically to do that job, rather than getting someone who wants to be out there making making the decisions and interacting with the players, um, rather than f- taking them off the pitch and putting them in the studio, get people who actually want to do the job, and get them to do it to a to a better. De- better level of understanding and knowledge of how the system works because John Moss is, is useless um, I mean he's, he's crap on the pitch he shouldn't he shouldn't be refereeing at Premier League level you can anyway. say that for a few of them though yep. yeah um, th- yeah and ultimately that is that is the Premier League's problem that there are not enough good referees at the moment at the highest level partially not aided by the presence of VAR because obviously their decisions are coming under even closer scrutiny uh, partially not aided by their colleagues not wanting to basically go against them and overturn their decisions um, that often. And also the the way that a lot of the laws are written at the moment are so opaque that they're open to ludicrous levels of interpretation. Like they've, they've, they've somehow managed to change the handball law last summer to make it even harder to give um, accurate handballs. So no, so a lot of people don't actually know what handball is or isn't now. Even referees don't, because one referee gives, um, draws, draws the line halfway up 
um, between the between the elbow and the shoulder, and another one does it two thirds of the way up. Well, even the penalty for us, it was like there was a, a whole moment of, oh my god, he's not going to give that, and then he suddenly did, didn't he? So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But look, I've just uh, had a chance to look out while you were talking there. Google tells me that Yannick Vestergaard is 96 kilograms, and the uh, converter that I've also had time to look up tells me that's 15 stone one. So we'll call that a draw. It's halfway between the two of you, all right? Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, Glenn, um, I mean, look, Saints have played poorly at times over the last few months. We've, uh, you know, we have to say that I think, but. To be fair to them, they've also had some diabolical decisions go against them over the, that time as well, you know, by a set of officials that, as Steve said there, have yeah. been poor during the entire Premier League season, not just for Saints, but for a number of clubs. I mean, that's another poor decision, is it? I mean, soon we're going to be banning tackling, aren't we? I um, Yeah, I'm going to look up what I've written about um, at the end of the season and uh, produce a table of John Moss's greatest hits. <laughs> um, I mean, he's done us twice in a week. I know mean, we're probably not going to talk about the Spurs game, but as far as I was concerned, he did us in the Spurs game as well. Because when you look at that tackle by Gineppo, yes, it's a stupid tackle. But on one angle, it looks like he hasn't caught the front foot. He's caught the back foot and it's outside the box. Um, but it, again, he's done what he did in this game is that he's gone with his first angle. Oh, that looks like a penalty. I'll, I'll, I'll give it. That looks like a, a red card. I'll give it. I mean, it's it's absurd now. I mean, just imagine. So a cross comes into the box and a centre half like Vestergaard jumps up and heads it away. Now he's off the ground. He's going to come back to earth because that's what gravity does. If he lands on the toe of a forward, are we calling that a foul? Now? Well, here's one for that, you. Earlier that's in the how season, absurd it is. well, earlier in the season, Craig Dawson had a shot at St Mary's and he didn't kick the ball. He smashed Shea Adams in the face. Nothing happened. Know, not even a booking. So you know, surely that's a sending off if we're going to go down that route. Yeah, that proves that Shea Adams is a real Scotsman. <laughs> Hmm. Possibly. Well, well, it doesn't. It doesn't because he, he missed. He missed two games after that with concussion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we've had some shockers. I mean, I'm sure other teams have had some shockers as well. But we we do seem to have a ridiculous amount, and it, it always seems to be John Moss. You know, it, and it, Steve's right. The guy, the guy is just appalling. He he cannot do the job. He he probably sat there not wanting to do the job. You know, I don't I don't blame the referee. The referee did annoy me slightly by grinning all the way through it. You know, it's just like shut up, mate. It just get on with the game. He, it's he like was... when you see referees and you just see, I mean, he was the one that disallowed that Burnley goal up at Leeds in the season when the keeper kind of did, you know, just came out and fell over. I mean, yeah, you just, you just see the ref or the name or the face. You say, oh God, we're in for a long night here, aren't we? But uh, look, I mean, Dan, Steve mentioned um, the, the sort of overturning the appeal, etc. Ralph seemed to imply, I think, after the game that Saints would appeal it. Um, I'm assuming you probably, you know, were a couple of days uh, down the line, but may not have had an update on it. Assuming they do uh, uh, appeal it, Dan, can you see that getting overturned or do you think they'll, they'll sort of try and stick with referees as they like to it's a really i think it will get overturned especially if they've given it for um denying a goal scoring opportunity that's the thing isn't it i think when i when i saw it live because you see vestergaard make you know make a meal out of the the initial pass and then you see the lines and you think oh he's in trouble here you just it was just like that (laughs) kind of classic vestergaard like two year two years ago tackle that he would make just Mm. like a big lump going to the ground and it just looked very clumsy at, at that but and then once you see the replays, I'm like, okay, well, I can. I mean, he, you you would argue he's out of control with the way you know, he does nearly snap Vardy's ankle. But it's a shame then, he missed, but, to be honest. But, yeah, as, it would have been a shame. Steve, Virgil Van Dijk yeah, would have appreciated it. Yeah. But but as Steve said, like if they'd come out and said that's a red card um, because serious foul play, I don't think you'd have many arguments. Like I don't think that many people would argue, and you'd probably take it on the chin and be like, okay, well, yeah, it was a clumsy foul. The thing is, you you say that though, but I mean, you only have to look at the 
the reaction on Twitter, like, and and also from um, from what I gather in the Sky Studio on Friday night, mm-hmm. that none of the pundits thought it was a red card yeah, on the basis of then. oh yeah. he's got he's got the ball, oh game's gone, you can't tackle anymore. Mm. That's I mean this is the problem that you've got people in influential positions in the media who are basically because they're all ex-players they've they've all been used to getting away with with all this um with basically um leaving their foot in late and snapping the ankles of opponents for for decades but now because because the game's so fast and you want to actually protect people's um ankles occasionally um they've changed they've changed the laws of the game to to actually protect the talented players rather than the cloggers and now yeah, so, so now a, a lunge at a player's ankle where you make contact above the ankle is now a red card. These these form, these ex-pros are all getting uppity about it, and they're, and they're all basically trying to referee the game now at the standards of what they got away with 20-plus 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, but you think of that West Ham one, Dan, last week as well. You know, slightly different because that wasn't denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, but that was a bloke that essentially cleared the ball and uh, attack, tackled, I can't remember who it was, you know, on his follow-through. You can almost say that was the same as Vestergaard and, Vester, and, and that West Ham one got overturned. So I suppose we'll have to wait and see what happens this week. But, you know, you've got to think if Saints do appeal it, there's a, a good chance, I would have thought, surely. I think so, especially on the grounds of denying a goal-scoring opportunity because he didn't. Because, as Steve yeah. said, Vardy was not going to get that ball. It was going like Vardy was running one way and that ball was going another way. At, that, at the time Vestergaard touched that ball... That ball was going towards you know the left, and Vardy was kind of on the right, going in a straight line. And yeah, McCarthy, McCarthy was already McCarthy, off his McCarthy line. McCarthy would just pick that up. Yeah, exactly. So on the basis that Vardy wasn't going to get that ball, I can't, I, I don't see how they can't turn it like turn it over, yeah. like um, you know, rescind it. It's, I'd be if, amazed if they didn't on that they, fact of the goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, if they'd done it for dangerous play, then I still think it would have been harsh but it wouldn't have been rescinded. But because they've yeah. said it was the goal-scoring opportunity, that's just complete rubbish. And it, yeah. it, if there's any justice in the world, it will get, get overturned. But there isn't any justice in the world, so it probably won't. <laughs> exactly. Just finally then, Glenn, um, just to finish on this game, um, you know, that Saints on to 37 points now. With Fulham losing at Chelsea yesterday and the goal difference, it pretty much means that to catch us, Fulham need to win every single game now. And, you know, admittedly, one of those is against us. Do you, do you feel that that Saints over the line now? Do you still think they've got a bit more work to do? Well, it's never over, is it, until you're <laughs> mathematically safe. But uh, no, I, realistically, yes. I think there's more important stuff to, to say about the game in, in much the same way that Dan was alluding to early on. I, th- I thought it, it showed that the players are still playing for the manager because I was beginning I was beginning to doubt that a little bit. And, and another thing in, in Ralph's favour, I thought it was interesting that in the, in the Spurs game, when he made the substitutions, he brought Diallo on and swapped everybody around. Whereas in this game, like he, he could have brought Salasu on and stuck him at left back and moved Stevens. And when he brought Diallo on, he could have put him in the middle and moved Armstrong to the right, but he didn't. He put Diallo on the right. So he was obviously as keen as possible to stick to the original game plan. And I think that's that's a way forward. You know, you, you, you work all week on a game plan. Why why swap it all around unnecessarily if you if you don't have to? So I think there was... There was some major, major positives to come out of the game. You know, he's the lose all we learned thing. Um, I know I've, I've batted it a couple of times because it didn't look like we have been learning. But comparing to the Man United game, you know, two lines of four and 100% effort will get you a long way. And that's um, and that's what happened in that game. So it's a it's a good thing. In answer to the original question, we're not 100% over the line, but I I would uh, I would be pretty confident that uh, we're not going to get involved in it now. 
and all we need to do really is not lose to Fulham when we play them. I'd say what well, Jack Stevens, I, I thought was tremendous. The sort of inverse Roberto Carlos, um, the outside of the right foot down the line to clear the ball and all that. It was it was just funny, and I, I love the way as well that whenever there was a throw in or he gave away a throw in or there was one anywhere near him, he never left the scene without kicking the ball away. He was brilliant. How he took over from Ryan Bertrand as the chief time waster. And how he how we got away with it the entire game without getting booked was tremendous, I thought. <laughs> this is the Total Saints Podcast. Proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Dan, before we get an FPL update, one of your colleagues at The Athletic ran a story last week about Manchester United's impending search for a replacement for Ed Woodward. One of the names that was linked to the job was St. CEO Martin Simmons. I know a couple of our listeners were keen to get your thoughts, Dan, on both the story and the, uh, you know, the possibility, I suppose, of Martin potentially ended up at Manchester United. Yeah, it's going to be the biggest transfer saga of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I well, think... As long as it's not Jaden Bloody Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... I think I messaged you the, the day that came out, actually, and I was, the way it was written, it was just, it essentially, I think, the, I think Laurie Whitwell did the piece and he was saying, from the information he's heard, is that they would, they are looking to, you know, for an external appointment, um, someone within, within the Premier League and a guy like Martin, he won't be tainted by the, the top six stuff. He wasn't obviously involved in that and he is, you know, he is respected throughout the Premier League behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, I don't know if, you know, I, I guess you'd have to ask him if he, if he would want the United job. But I sense that he really is committed to Southampton, the project and and so on. And you know, he also has a fantastic relationship with Ralph. He's he's working hard behind the scenes. I'm led to believe to, to sell the club, um, to find new owners. He is... You know, from the interviews I've done with him, from listening to when he's come on here and done stuff with Radio Solent, he's very—he seems like a very much like a, a project guy, and I—I I don't sense that he would be someone that would would step away from from that project yet. You know, I think he's incredibly committed to the club. Uh, of course, I mean, if Man United came in for you, I guess that would generally give you something to think about, wouldn't it? it not every day. salary, probably. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not, I mean, and the security, probably, and you probably have to move house a few times, bearing in mind what's happened to Ed Woodward's place, but I think, um, I, I just think, it, I, I was surprised and I wasn't surprised when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's interesting, you don't normally hear of, like, chief execs moving around, it's not the kind of, like, thing you wake up and read about, and then when you think about it, like, yeah, why wouldn't they be interested in a guy like him, but then when you spend, like, a bit longer thinking about it, you just think, well, you know, he is incredibly committed to saints he has a brilliant relationship with ralph as i mentioned and i'm i'm not sure i I think he's i think he's happy at saint mary's well if martin's listening he's welcome to come on here and have a chat about it i think there's also a fans forum later this week coming as well so maybe it'll get brought up in that but uh, let's have a uh, look at the uh, fantasy premier league just ahead of the final few games of the season uh, our tsp league and the tsp patrons only league these scores are correct 
as of the end of the game versus Leicester when I did my pod notes. So as of Friday, uh, I haven't managed to catch up with them over the weekend. But starting with the Total Saints podcast league, in fifth place is Tom McCann, one of our TSP patrons, McCanchester City, 2167. Fourth is Sam Smith, Royce College, 2171. Third is Bob Brown over in Canada, Magic Saints, 2179. Second is Lucy Heiner, XTSP, of course, Shade Dream Believers, 2239. And first is Nelson Hotspur, Chris Astin, 2247. So very tight there. Always the same uh, names whenever I look at the top of that table. The the ones who clearly know what they're doing and take it very seriously. Uh, And on to our TSP Patrons Only League, which is maybe a little bit more fun as it uh, states. It's only open to our patrons. Uh, It's fifth is John Fisher with uh, QWERTY Football 2, 1942. Fourth is Alex Hart when Harry Matt Salasu, 1961. Those two are buddies I know over in California, so they're fighting each other in this. Third is Tom Weston, Bednareke, 2009. Second, James Taylor, Guilfi Pleasures, 2018. And first is the aforementioned Tom McCann, McCanchester City, 2167. So a bit of a lead there for Tom. But good luck to all of you over the next two or three weeks as we finish the season. listening to the Total Saints podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC Next up for Saints is a trip to Merseyside to face the German Hasenhutl's Liverpool side a ground where we've only won once in the last 17 years in the league thanks to Dejan where's your head at Lovren in 2013 Dan let's start with a a positive again um, before things rapidly go downhill I suspect but a chance for Saints to do their first league double over Liverpool since the 2003-2004 season if I'm a massive correct and I'm certainly not a washing machine when we followed up the 2-1 December 2003 win at their place under Gordon Strachan with a 2-0 St Mary's win at home in March 2004 and what I believe and Steve will tell me if I'm wrong was Paul Sturrock's first game as Saints manager probably a, a bit more of a rhetorical bit at the end there Dan but the point being Saints have got a chance to do a Premier League double over the champions yeah I mean I didn't know any of that stuff that you just said so I've sat here and learned something so I think it's going to be a difficult difficult ask to go there and, and do the double they they've kind of they're not while they're still not playing brilliant Liverpool they they seem to have found a way to kind of I know they they drew against Leeds and and so on but they they seem to have found a way to eke out results here and there and now they're back in the, the picture for the top four and that will of course be their priority and obviously with what's happened today uh, Old Trafford uh, unless they play United again um, this week which I don't think they're going to be able to do unless they rearrange it for tomorrow but even that seems unlikely they're, they're going to have you know a bit of time to, to think about Southampton and it's one of those games where it really does mean more for Liverpool than it does for Southampton you know Southampton aren't going to be getting into the top 10 or, or getting into the Europa League so it's a game which Liverpool have to win uh, it's a game they're going to need to win if they want to close that gap to Chelsea I think the, the gap is six or seven points and I think they, they they have played one game less I think that's from memory it's just going to be a tough game I mean Anfield isn't I know they've lost a few times this season uh, but it's you'd still fancy them to you know beat Southampton I think and realistically, then, with the, the way things have been going for Saints over the last few weeks, um, I keep thinking whenever I think of Saints at Liverpool, I think of Mark Hughes' damage limitation, which I think was Man City, wasn't it? But the same sort of uh, approach. Or, or do you think maybe now that you know we know we're kind of safe, that we can maybe go up there with a bit more of a have-a-go-you've-got-nothing-to-really-lose type mentality? Especially, as, as Dan's just mentioned, after everything that's happened at Man United, it may well be that Liverpool turn up to that game having not played for two weeks, which for any side was is difficult when you come up against a, a Premier League opposition. Yeah, well, against against Liverpool, you 
you've got to make sure you don't give them any goals by that as in gift. You know, if they if they score a brilliant goal and carve you open, then then fair enough. But you don't gift them anything. You don't line up on the halfway line and leave loads of space for Salah and Mane to run into. You, you, you make it as difficult for them as you can. But the weak part of Liverpool's team is the defence. I, I think within that, not giving them anything at the back, you've got to have a positive intent to go forward and, and, and try and do something. So I think players like uh, Nathan Teller will be key to that because he, you know, he wants to get at people all the time. If the likes of Redmond or Walcott, you know, they've got to be positive as well. We've got to try and get people up towards where Shea Adams is and and cause them problems. I mean, they, you know, their centre-halves, as far as I know, are still Phillips and Quebec, aren't they? And they're, that's championship standard. So that's the area you've, you've got to get at. I mean, Liverpool are not as bad as they've been painted, but they're, they're not unbeatable either. And as Dan said, they are kind of in last chance saloon for making the top four. So, um, yeah, it'd be, be quite funny if they actually made the top four and then had to drop out because someone else won the Champions League or, or something like that. That would yeah. be amusing. Or points deduction. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or points deduction. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're still waiting for that, aren't we? We're still, we're still waiting for the ESL 6. With, with, with bated breath. Yeah. Points deduction. I'm sat here with me popcorn. I've eaten a lot of popcorn. <laughs> waiting. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, surely they'll get something. But, yeah, why, why not? There, there is no pressure on us, really. You know, there'll be more pressure on us when we play Fulham and when we play Crystal Palace. This is a this is a free hit and let's let's go out there and have a go. Yeah. Steve, I never learn when I write these questions down, but uh, I've put here and we shouldn't forget Steve, Liverpool have lost six and drawn one of their last eight Premier League games at home, so it's not necessarily the fortress it was before the turn of the year. Uh yeah, I um I will direct you to uh, Everton's home <laughs> Everton's home form this calendar year where they have won uh one in their last ten, I think, in the Premier yeah. League. And Leeds United and, didn't have uh, a clean sheet you, in about twelve games before they played us, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, <laughs> those, those, those stats are basically irrelevant when we come to town. Any any terrible stat can be uh, made to be made irrelevant, and any team that's on a good run, I mean, you never know. But Liverpool aren't on a good run; they're on a mediocre run, and they were. I mean, Newcastle were probably reasonable value for their point um, last week, I thought. And Newcastle aren't a good team. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason. I mean, as, as Glenn said, their defence is ropey, to say the least, this season. I mean, they've, they must have had about 47 different combinations of back four. But, the I mean, to be fair, the constants have, have been the full-backs. Alexander-Arnold and Robertson are still, are still in that team. They're still fully fit. And they're still leaving acres of space in behind them. To be honest, I would imagine that we go in with a very similar game plan to the one that started the game on Friday. You... you Allow them, allow them to come on to you to a certain point, and then when you, as soon as you win the ball back, you spring the ball over, over the top of, over the top of them into the space for us to run onto because that's where Liverpool always leave their space. And it, it seems, I mean, it, it was fairly extraordinary that they managed to go almost an entire season unbeaten without anybody working out how to take advantage of this, and now all of a sudden, basically everybody's worked it out and. It's been and it's been teams that you wouldn't wouldn't have expected to either. So it's your Brightons and your Burnleys have all gone the have all gone to Anfield and won deservedly and have kept them at bay. So yeah, I mean there's other than other than kind of what we do, there's no reason for us to go to Anfield fearing anything. It just yeah, I mean it, it depends on it depends on attitude. Um, if, if we go in with a similar attitude that we had on that we had throughout the game on Friday, then, yeah, why not? Who knows? 
And, and Glenn, from Ralph's point of view, how much do you think he can learn from a game like this at this time of the season? I suppose it comes back to what we were talking earlier and what Dan was talking about, some of those building blocks for next year, the likes of Salasu, Stevens, Teller, etc., etc., potentially. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a difficult one because you don't want to experiment too much and chuck three or four kids in or anything like that because you could then end up getting hammered. But players like Salasu, I, I definitely think there's nothing to be uh, to, to lose by by putting him in because he's he's shown he's good enough already like i said it, it it is a free hit but i'll just qualify that with you know with a, with a little bit of caution because you can get absolutely smashed up at anfield you know i i just, I just think we need to uh, we need to go out there there won't be too many changes from what we put out against leicester i mean i i would anticipate Salasu, yeah i would anticipate Salasu being at left back because i, I can't imagine you know, most Salah running at Jack Stevens ain't going to be pretty, is it? So um, I, I would imagine he'll be there. Um, obviously, Minamino can't play, so that that brings in either Walcott or Teller or uh, or um, Gineppo or maybe even Diallo on the right hand yeah. side. I suppose um, that Salasu decision. Just thinking about that, that kind of rests a lot on what happens to Vestergaard, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, that was a bit of a mystery actually. Why why Salasu wasn't at left back against? Um, against Leicester. Um I kind of figured that maybe he wasn't hundred percent after after playing against Spurs, but he, he certainly looked like he was running freely enough when he when he came on. So yeah, a bit of a mystery there. I mean there may be some more surprises. I mean I was reading today that Fraser Forster's gonna be in goal and that he's he's playing them two games each and you know, from now to the end of the season. Um whether that's whether that's true or not, I don't know. But like McCarthy had a decent game against that, Leicester. That came from Ralph. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, so that is the case. So um, Forster is um, is going to start in goal. Um, there, there may be other changes, but as Steve said, unless you're going to unless you're going to pitch in Mr. Yankovic, there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of options, uh, you know. Um, so I don't I can't see people like Will Ferry getting thrown in for a game like this. So yeah, there'll be there'll be slight changes, but nothing too much. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, and the, the the time to the time to kind of arse around with the uh, wholesale changes and giving giving people a game for want of a for want of a better phrase is probably the Fulham game, isn't it? Because that's the one where there's kind of nothing nothing really on the line for us to to an extent, and you're not likely to get absolutely hammered. He's he says remembering our trip to the Hawthorne. <laughs> exactly. Um, just finally then, Dan, uh, ahead of our normally inaccurate score predictions, uh, unless you're Glenn, of course. Um, as we've said before on a, a few occasions this season, important for Saints to kind of go out there and try to build on the positives generated from their previous performance, which is obviously Leicester in this case. Yeah, you don't want it to be one step forward, two steps back. Um, we've seen that too often this season I think where there's games where we've sat here on a Sunday night and said yeah, that was great now they need to you know carry it forward and they haven't done that so I think it's just if they match the the dedication the discipline the energy the commitment that they did against Leicester and they matched that at, at the weekend against Liverpool then that's really all I think supporters and, and Ralph can ask for it no one's expecting to go there and win but you want to watch your team give everything and too often it hasn't appeared that way in 2021 so they need to continue continue with that continue storing pride you know they want they should be trying to make supporters proud not not annoyed all the time so that needs to be their motivation going forward and yeah if, if as long as they match 
or just put in a similar kind of performance that, than the one they did against Leicester. They've got a chance, a slim chance, but it's a chance. And that's all that you know. everyone can really hope for. Indeed. Well, the last thing we want to see is uh, John Moss named as the uh, official for that game, do we? But uh, there we go. Let's do uh, some score predictions. Um, Steve, let's start with you then. Um, I, I think realistically we'll get beat. But I, I, I think if we go in with, with the right attitude, then um, we'll at least make it competitive. Um, I think we'll score as well because they're as as we've we've discussed their defence is ropey as hell. So um, yeah, two one. Two one loss, yeah. All right. And um, Glenn, what do you reckon? Well, one of the one of the finest moments of my um, score predicting this season was the Liverpool home game. You did go for where one I, I I went for one nil. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the same again, just for a giggle. Good man, good man. I'm All gonna right. go Saints to win one nil and Ralph not to cry this time. <laughs> there you go. Um, Dan, what do you reckon? Uh, two all. Two all. Right, Desmond, eh? Cool. And uh, oh, I, I do think we've got a chance, but yeah, I, I still think it's going to be tough. And obviously, um, their quality up top, Mo Salah always scores against us. I am going to make him fancy captain, so fingers crossed that'll do the job. Uh, but I'm going to go for two nil Liverpool. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of TSP. As always, we appreciate you sticking with us despite the rough patch on the pitch. Nice to have something positive to talk about. Fingers crossed Yannick Vestergaard's red card gets overturned by the time we turn up to face Liverpool. We'll be back again next week to no doubt mull over that league double. Until then, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.